Um, well, I'm Jonathan Coleman, one of the pastors here at Anderson Hills, and uh, welcome you to this worship service. Uh, beautiful song, amazing. So last week we completed uh, the story, a series that began in September. We took some time off for Advent, and it was an amazing chronological journey through the Bible. So today we begin a short three-week series called Pause. Several weeks ago, our worship design team asked the question, should we do a series called Pause when it seems like the pause button has been on for like two and a half months? And this series, though, is, is about pausing uh, to allow God to come and heal us in a lot of ways. Pausing to commune with God. Pausing to be restored by God's rhythms and pace. Pausing to seek God's direction and guidance for our lives. The series has been planned for months, and we all agreed that we should press on, and it's very timely, I believe. And so we all have a deep desire uh, to minister to you in these difficult times. I could see that through our staff and in this church. You see, we need to pause. We can't grieve properly without pausing. We can't observe and plan with intentionality without pausing. And many times, God's timing can pass us by when we don't pause before him. As I was writing this message, I, I thought about what we're going through together in the midst of this pandemic. And it reminded me of the, when that critical warning light goes on with your computer, your desktop or last, uh, laptop. You know where a screen goes blue and it says critical error? And it basically states that your, your computer has crashed. And immediately, what do you do? You hit Control-Alt-Delete. At least I think that's what you still do. And our world has experienced that. It's a hard stop. And we're beginning to reset. And we're waiting, we're stepping back to see if that reset is going to work. And resetting is frustrating. It's not a soft reset, reset. It's, a, it's a very hard reset. And resets like this, we see happens with virus. <laughs> As a virus can come into our computer system. Things are beginning to come back online. Businesses are beginning to slowly open. We're seeing familiar activities that we took for granted begin to happen once again. But I think, and I know this is true for me, in the background, I know I'm holding my breath, praying that the system comes back online and will begin to work properly again. And someday, we're going to be able to hug. Someday, we're going to be able to um, be together at close range. We'll be able to celebrate milestones like graduations. We'll be able to watch the Cincinnati Reds together with thousands of other people. And do all of that, hopefully, without anxiety. It's going to take some time, I think, for humanity, the earth, to figure this out. And so during this reset, we have to take time to pause and rely on God through this. Folks, I know one thing during a crisis, God wants to protect our sanity. And during crisis, we really find out what we're all about, what we're made of, and how strong we are. And God wants to help us. For he is our strength. He is our rock. 
And he wants to make sure that we don't self-sabotage. God calls and beckons us to rely upon him to carry us through. To pause and seek him and love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Everyone must intentionally and mindfully pause in order to see that God is operating in the background, calling us to keep himself at the center of our lives and nothing else. First and foremost, the way we do this is spending time with God. This is one of those habits, six habits that we practice here at Anderson Hills. Why? God longs to commune with us. You know, maybe our hairstylist or barber is not available, but God is available and he desires to commune with us. And in the presence, whatever is happening outside in the world or inside our heart, mind, and soul, God calls us to press that pause button and join him in order for us to experience firsthand his ministry in a way that helps. Intimacy with God requires stillness, attentiveness, and silence. We see it from Jesus and his rhythms. He removed himself from the world. He spent time alone in prayer and in solitude, especially after he ministered and he poured out himself and gave his energy over to heal and to feed people. Luke 5, 15 and 16, we see this. It says, yet news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of the people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And so when those crowds would press in, in with his ministry, he had the discernment to know when he needed to find space to recharge. And he recharged by being alone with his father. After ministering to people in Luke chapter 3, 42, it says, At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. In Matthew 14, 22, after the feeding of the 5,000, immediately it says, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone. And we see him. For hours communing. Jesus recharged by seeking to be alone with his father. And it kept him focused on what he was sent to do and to be for us. Intimacy with God requires that. And he frequently removed himself from the world. And he spent time alone in prayer and in solitude. Jesus' life reflects this kind of balance. There are times when he was in the midst of the crowd and the hubbub, and he was precisely where he needed to be. And there were other times when he retreated to that peace and quiet found in the wilderness. And on that last night with his disciples, after the Passover meal, he exited to the quietness of the Garden of Gethsemane for solitary prayer to get him through what he knew was ahead in his steps toward the cross. And in that silence, he pleaded to his father, and he was there with his father. He placed his heavy burdens before his father and he had and found the strength to take that cup and to do his father's will. And in these moments, Jesus received strength for that mission and confidence to continue that mission. 
And what did he do when he would go away and all these examples? He communed with God. Webster defines the verb commune to mean to communicate intimately. We're shaped and contoured and fashioned by God to commune. And even though we are socially distanced, we are created to reach out and pull people into our arms. I know I am, and I like doing that. And we're created to be in contact with each other. We're created to show love through handshakes and hugs and kisses. And you know, to listen with two ears and to talk with one mouth. It's hard to do that right now with our friends and some of our family. But we can always lean in to God and find that communion. Intimate communication or communion has always been at the heart of what God wants with us. At the Last Supper, Jesus said, I have eagerly longed to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Suffer. And he instituted what we call communion. And in communion, we experience taking in through that sacrament intimate symbols of God's own representation, his presence to us. He's basically saying through that, all of myself is given to you, and I've given you these symbols. And we see that in communion. And so we have this time where we need to take time to give up all of ourselves to God. God's communication is coupled with our response for him. And he did everything in order for us to interact with him. God and Jesus Christ removed every barrier in order for us to place our lives before him. And we have complete access to God through the ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I was reminded of the cross. I saw the cross over here as we were worshiping, and I was reminded that that the, the cross symbolizes that we can have access to God vertically and access to each other horizontally. And that's because of Christ. You know, and maybe during this pandemic, you've been frustrated, and even frustrated possibly with God, and feel like that this interaction is just not that way. But you see, maybe you've built up that wall, but what you see as a wall, God sees as a bridge on its side, wanting us to lay that down and walk and interact with him. God wants to use that bridge, and he covers that chasm to minister unto you. God wants to give us wisdom to help us discern the ways of God from the ways of the world. And here's what God tells us to do. In this ancient psalm, 46.10, he says, Be still and know that I am God. This scripture proclaims in the stillness, we get to know God. Mother Teresa said this. She observed, God rarely, rarely is found in the midst of noise and restlessness. Instead, God is a friend of silence. Isn't silent, silence a weird word? Especially if you're an extrovert like me. There are times I just want to force speech, I just want to communicate, or I need to talk, 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 and interact all the time. And when there is silence, even during a conversation, I think I know, and I think we, we, we can understand, we need to fill up that quiet space or pausing with, um, um, um. 
even in our communication, we have that struggle to just wait and listen and step back and hear and seek to understand others. And we hear from these words of the psalmist, be still and know that I am God. This scripture in Psalm 46 is found in the midst of that ancient hymn, celebrating triumph over trouble and rock-solid conviction that in no matter what, God is with us and God is in control. And in this hurly-burly of life, we might not notice, but in the silence, we learn to hear and listen, and we notice in that. Silence is, after all, part of that natural order. Alternating silence and speech and silence is a very rhythm of God, and it's, it's old and it's deep in, in nature and what he interacts with us and in, even in creation itself. You ever step back and just listen to his creation? The wind, flowers, the chatting of different various mammals. You see, when we take time and talk to God, he opens up our existence into the reality of himself and his presence among us. According to Genesis, God breaks into the cosmic silence with a creative word and begins to speak things in existence. And finally, on that seventh day, I, God rested, and I believe God was quiet in that. Ecclesiastes says there's a time for everything, a time to be silent, and a time to speak. And we need to invest in getting away with God. God constantly calls to us, come away with me, learn my ways, and God yearns for it. And he says that to us, and he says, my child, so that we can learn. You see, society doesn't reward pausing. It rewards doing. But constant doing does nothing for us spiritually. It's vital that we pause and spend time. And through that prayer and solitary uh, time every day, uh, the speed of the world um, slows down. But if we continue doing, the speed of the world will skew our understanding of God and our understanding of ourselves. I know this firsthand. Uh, I was burnt out, and my best friend made me aware uh, that I was on the threshold of that burnout uh, because of my lack of stopping and doing self-care. And you see, when I've discovered when chaos at its height in life, self-awareness becomes lower and lower. So my colleague suggested that I go to the Abbey of Gethsemane in Bardstown, Kentucky. I booked four nights. I made a vow of silence, and that was very difficult for me. And uh, the day I was supposed to arrive was filled with pressures, and I ended up being three hours late. And I came in the cover of darkness in, on that windy fall evening, and this tiny Trappist monk was waiting for me. And I hurried with my suitcase behind me, and I vividly recalled reading the sign beside the door of that monastery. It said, let all guests who come be received like Christ. And it's a rule of St. Benedict. He opened the door for me. I apologized profusely. He smiled and he spoke. That's not necessary. Just welcome and peace be with you. I think he sensed my haggardness. And during those four nights and five days, I experienced a recalibration of my life, and it was all done in silence. It was a life and ministry lesson for me. 
You see, those monks knew a secret. Well, maybe it's not a secret. I believe we all know. In the deepest places of our heart, mind, and soul, it is about being still before God. And pausing and being still still heals. It's God's will for us to experience that daily healing and the ministry of that stillness and knowing with our minds that he is God, he's in control. You see, when we take God, uh, time to remember who he is and whose we are, we, we find that our core needs and longings can be met in him. You know, we long to be safe. We long to be affirmed and nurtured, purpose, love, and we long to be rested. And God will provide those good gifts if we pause and allow him. You know, I think anxiety, unrest, and discontentment will hover over our lives in that dark storm if we aren't pausing in his presence on a regular basis. You see, God, and we see it in Jesus Christ, can speak to a storm and still it. And we see that in the scriptures. We can experience our own daily monastery when we pause in the stillness and the silent with our creator. And in the words of the poet, whenever I am troubled and lost in deep despair, I bundle all my troubles and go to God in prayer. I tell him I am heartsick and lost and lonely too, and that I am deeply burdened and don't know what to do. But I know he stilled the tempest and calmed the angry sea, and I humbly ask if in his love he'll do the same for me. If I just keep quiet and think on thoughts of peace, and as I abide in stillness, my restless murmurings cease. I want you to ask yourself right now, what place allows you the best place to commune with God and then make it a priority to go there? You might not experience a brilliant moment of epiphany uh, the first time you go there in silence and reflection and meditation and prayer, but as you incorporate that as a daily habit, it'll become easier and easier and you'll find rest and peace and direction and guidance as you walk in stillness with the Lord. You can be sure he's working in you, and you'll experience that fruit. You know, and I love that hymn in the garden. And he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. You see, the heart of Jesus Christ's ministry is taking our burdens. In Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, he says, Come to me, all you are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is a great, encouraging ministry, pastoral ministry of Jesus Christ. Quote, but what does it mean? You look at the dynamics of this scripture. Most of you can visualize the kind of yoke that Jesus had in mind. It was that crossbar, that U-shaped pieces that encircled the necks of a pair of oxen. The easiest interpretation of this text is when you are yoked with Jesus, he walks beside you and helps bear your burdens. He helps us as we pull and till our way through this world. And he wants us to learn his ways. In his ways, he says, for I am gentle and humble. What do we find when we're yoked with him? We don't have to bear the weight of the world by ourselves. And this obvious teaching is a beautiful teaching. 
But there are many ways in which being yoked to Christ will give us rest and so much more. When we're yoked to Jesus Christ, we no longer have to prove to the world that we belong. We belong to him, and he's beside us. And this passage tells us that we are accepted in him because he says, come to me. No restrictions. I'm available. Come. Many of us have, a, I think, a vast insecurity in our hearts about our own self-worth and being accepted. And this insecurity makes every task we uh, take or handle with difficulty. Often, we experience an enormous amount of energy trying to be something we are not. There are many people who feel for one reason or another that they don't belong. And their life has little value, but it does. These expectations produce both stress and fatigue. To be able to relax and be ourselves is one of the greatest benefits our faith gives us. And it happens when we are yoked with him, when we come to him. When we come to the one who wants to be yoked with us, we find our true selves. Soren Kierkegaard was a Danish philosopher who suffered, suffered bouts of, of anxiety and depression. And it was due to a difficult upbringing in his life. And one day he wrote in his journal, And now, with God's help, I shall become myself. That's a liberating thought. And now, with God's help, I shall become myself. Not what others expect me to be. Not some unrealistic Im image of, of I have of myself. No, with God's help, I shall become who I really am. No more stressful pretenses. No more misguided strivings. I'll relax and be me in him. When we feel accepted by Christ, and for the first time in our lives, we begin to experience not restriction, but freedom. We're yoked to him. And he to us. And we know that we are loved, we're forgiven, and we're accepted. And it's amazing how much inner turmoil can be eliminated from our lives when we know those three things. Love, acceptance, and forgiveness. And this is a priority number one for the ministry of our souls. God wants us to seek it out in nothing else but him. Because our soul can become at rest from restlessness when we seek him and fill him with our lives. A couple weeks ago, um, my Fresh Expressions coach, uh, Shannon, did an exercise with me. She had me make uh, three columns on a sheet of paper. And as a matter of fact, our staff did this. And write down in the first column what I had lost during the pandemic. And in the middle column what I did not lose in the pandemic. And in the third column, what I gained during this time. I found in that exercise, there were things that I lost, and I listed several. And there were things that I did not lose. And there were some good things that I gained. And I had to look and mourn those things in this column that I lost and even took for granted. But I found in that middle column constant things about God and my faith. And I had to search deeply in that and see it. And the truth is that I, I really experienced his ministry, but I, th I think I gained more in him.
because the truth is, is he, I was yoked with him. And it, it made me praise him for that ministry. A little while ago in my message, I said, maybe we've built up a wall toward God because of that loss. But God wants to lay down that wall and make it a bridge unto himself so that we can come and be healed. Be present to his presence. To be reminded that he is always with us and has not forsaken us, no matter what. No matter what was taken away. In Acts chapter 17, Paul's preaching to these wise Athen Stoic who just loved and liked to chatter about wisdom. And they had all of these idols, these statues around. They didn't want to make sh- they wanted to make sure that they uh, didn't miss out on a god. But they made this statue, and it said, to an unknown god. And Paul started talking to them, actually preaching to them, and teaching them about Jesus Christ, that this god can be known. All the other gods are just totally separate and distant. And he said this in Acts chapter 17, beginning with 24. He said, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in the temples built by human hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he gives everyone life and breath and everything else. And from one man, Jesus Christ, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of the lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far away from any of us. And he says this, for in him we live, we move, and we have our being. And then he continues, and some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. We find out that in him we are adopted and in him we, lo- we live and we have our existence and we have our being and we begin to understand what it means to be fully human and fully alive. And we need to meditate and pause on that truth. So what we're going to do now, and this might be difficult, but I want you to, at home, just take this time to just breathe and be silent. And we're going to pause can see this up on the screen we're going to pause for a few minutes and I'll, t- I'll count it in silence here your silence and remind you who he is to you and meditate on that truth take time to listen and hear what God says to you if you're on Facebook it says up here please feel free to type a word or words that you heard from this communion of the Holy Spirit in the comment box.
God, help us to pause. Your Holy Spirit, prompt us to pause in the communion with you and experience the lifting of these burdens and experience your peace and your rest. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.